Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for being here today for our worship service and especially for praying for me during this past week. As Michael read earlier, we're, we're only going to look at four verses today. They're packed full of truth, all pertaining to a major aspect of our Christian walk. And I suppose if I ask all of you, you would all say the same thing. What is that aspect? It's faith. A little five-letter word that is woven throughout the scriptures. In fact, it appears some 350 to 390 times in the Bible, depending on the translation you use. Even in our text today, most Bibles, including my own, title this section using the word faith. Mine says, the just shall live by faith. Or other translations refer to it as the righteous shall live by faith. Which is a phrase that not only occurs here, but also several times in the New Testament as well. This particular statement with phrases like, you just need to have faith, or just walk by faith, or keep the faith, are frequently said among Christians, especially in situations where someone is having a to-, to totally trust God to supply a need that is pressing on their heart. However, as is often the case, living by faith is easy to say, but can be very difficult to carry out in the midst of a heavy trial. That's why this passage today is so practical for every single believer as we're called by God to live out our faith here on this earth. So, what is faith? If you look up the definition, it says something like this. Faith is complete confidence and trust in someone or something. A more specific Bible definition said this. The entire Christian life is lived out on the foundation of faith. Galatians 2.20 I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Another stated, faith is an action word. What you think, what you say, and what you do should all correlate to living out your faith by trusting and obeying God, even when you don't fully comprehend what God is doing. So before we begin to look at this passage... I want to first ask you this question. Ask yourself, am I living by faith? Sadly, many who say they're living by faith are not. In reality, they are instead putting their trust and faith in other things. Money, possessions, relationships, careers, or probably more likely than not, their choices themselves. Putting their faith in themselves and their feelings or their emotions. For instance, in your own life, how do you live by faith when making a crucial decision? By seeking the Lord? By waiting on the Lord? By trusting the Lord? By obeying the Lord? Or do you make that decision simply because it just feels right? Ever done that? It just felt good. As I was preparing this, I remembered back to a situation 
in my own life. When I graduated from college, I got my first real job. All my coworkers were recent graduates and they were buying brand new cars. And we'd go to lunch together in their brand new cars. And we'd all ooh and awe about their brand new cars. Living by faith said loudly in my heart, you don't need and you can't afford a brand new car. Yet, living by my feelings said, Brad, you definitely need a brand new car. Where was my faith resting? In God or in myself? I am, I am ashamed to admit I bought a brand new car. A 1976 Blue Monte Carlo. A big boat by today's standards. And I won't go into details how God chastised me for this decision. But it was a valuable lesson. I tell you all that because in light of our passage today, these kinds of feelings and emotions can also play a part in questioning God. For example, have you ever heard someone say, if God exists, if God is loving and good and powerful, as you indicate the Bible says, then how can God allow evil to triumph over good? Why do the wicked often prosper when the righteous and faithful suffer? Or in recent days, questions like, why doesn't God intervene to stop the suffering in Ukraine? Why does God allow innocent children to be killed in schools? Why is God not stopping all these hurricanes and earthquakes and floods and tornadoes that devastate lives and injure lots of people? Why, why, why? Certainly in Habakkuk, we know we aren't the first people to wrestle with tough questions like these. As we've seen in the first chapter, the prophet asked similar questions. Why does a good God allow evil? Why are the just and faithful beaten down? Why does God appear indifferent and inactive in the face of wickedness, exploitation, violence, and greed? Why? 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 Then we read the words from verse 4. The just shall live by his faith. What, what does that really mean? Today's passage will offer guidance in four different areas as to what it means to live by faith. So, with that long introduction, the title of today's message is How to Live by Faith. So let's pray as we dedicate this time to God. Father, thank you for this time where we can really look in Habakkuk and these four verses. Lord, uh, there's so much that can be said about the just or the righteous shall live by his faith. And I trust as we go through this that we'll all be able to understand. Thank you for what you taught me, Lord, and how you've convicted me in so many areas. I pray that I'd be able to expound in a way that people understand. And as Michael said, Lord, help people to be alert. It's so easy to wander off. Your mind goes places instead of staying focused. I pray that you'd be able to just... Use the Holy Spirit within each person to prompt them to listen. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So as you've probably figured out, 
I broke this passage up into four sections. Four verses, four sections. Before we look at verse 1, I want to set the stage a bit and review what we've covered so far in chapter 1. As I said earlier, Habakkuk and other godly people in Judah were complaining and struggling with the question, God, why do you allow evil to prosper while good people suffer? God, aren't you going to do something to the wicked? Habakkuk can't seem to understand how God can sit idly by and watch all the wickedness that is so obvious without lifting a finger to punish it. Then the Lord answered Habakkuk's prayer by saying he was going to send the Chaldeans, the most wicked of all nations, to judge the wickedness of the nations. That answer really puzzled him. Wait a minute, Lord, the cure is far worse than the illness. However, instead of trying to second-guess God, instead of getting angry because it wasn't the answer he really wanted to hear, he decides to respond in faith. And what does he do? That brings us to chapter 2, which Kent briefly introduced two weeks ago. So please follow along as I read verse 1. Habakkuk 2, verse 1. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I will shall answer when I am reproved. I called this first section, Living by Faith Means Waiting on God. Back in the times of Bacchus, cities were often surrounded by walls with entry gates. And along certain parts of the wall, the people would build a watchtower or a rampart. Now typically these were mounds of dirt and stone that were raised up so you could see far beyond the city and visualize everything coming your way. From caravans bringing goods to enemies that might be pursuing an attack. In essence, it was a way that you could get to a higher perspective on everything. To separate yourself, and that's exactly what Habakkuk did. For he was indeed acting like a soldier, stationed upon the tower, with an alertness for an answer as he watched and waited for God to respond. Most commentators agree that Habakkuk's attitude was one of confidence. He has no doubt that God will answer, but realizes he will have to wait on God's timing. It's interesting that the final few words of this verse imply that Habakkuk is expecting to be reproved for his audacity in probing or questioning how God was going to work in the affairs of his people. However, if you really study that, the ESV states it like this, which I think is probably a better translation. And look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. He isn't expecting reproof for approaching God with a complaint, but rather Habakkuk anticipates that it will be difficult to fully grasp and understand the answer, and then wonders how he will be able to present it to his contemporaries. The Amplified Version says it like this, and we'll watch to see what he will say within me and what answer I will make as his mouthpiece to the perplexities of my complaint against him. Verse 1 in this picture of Habakkuk and the watchtower waiting reminds me of a present day hospital room setting. I don't know if any of you have ever sat in a hospital room, a waiting room, waiting on the results of surgery taking place on your spouse or a friend or a child or a parent. I know I have many times and probably you have as well. Some have called this waiting room a land where time seemingly stands still. It's a place where life is put on hold, 
For it may feel like hours have passed, and then yet you look at your watch, and only 20 minutes have gone by. Such it is with all the waiting rooms of life. Throughout the scriptures, particularly the Psalms, we find one of the most important exhortations in our walk as Christians. The call to live by faith, by waiting on the Lord. A few verses. Psalms 27, 14. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Psalms 37, 7-9. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Psalm 39, 7. And now, Lord, what wait I for? My hope is in thee. Psalm 62, 5. My soul wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. Psalm 130, 5 and 6. I wait for the Lord, my soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waited for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. I just love the Psalms, and I trust you do as well. Yet why, why is waiting so hard for most of us? It reminds me of the man who was seeking patience in his life. And said, Lord, Lord, give me patience, and give it to me right now. Or the man that paces back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And someone says, what's wrong? What are you doing? The response, the trouble is, I'm in a hurry, but God is not. We can chuckle, but that is so true, at least in my own life. I think waiting is hard because as part of fallen humanity, we're so prone to want answers. And so we push forward. We take matters into our own hands. That's why I think we're told over and over in Scripture to wait on the Lord. No doubt ours is a society that has grown accustomed to immediate gratification. But all too often God allows waiting as a test of living by faith. The fact is that there are a few bursts of green lights in everyday life. But the rest of the time is filled with yellow lights. And often the lights are bright red saying, wait, wait, wait. A few practical thoughts towards waiting. Number one, waiting involves resting in the Lord. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Living by faith acknowledges that God is on the throne and His timing is perfect. This stands opposed to running ahead of the Lord, taking matters into our own hands, and turning to our own human strategies. Waiting on the Lord involves hoping in the Lord. And now, Lord, I wait, for my hope is in Thee. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say, more than they that watch for the morning. Like Habakkuk, waiting involves the expectation of a confident hope that something will take place. It's like waiting for the sun to rise, waiting expectantly for the Lord's answers to human needs as the sun brings the warmth of the day. And then thirdly, waiting involves seeking the Lord. My soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. When we enter God's waiting room, we need to spend time seeking him. 
time in the word studying, seeking answers, claiming God's promises. It means time in prayer, praying about the issues, praying for wisdom and discernment. It means meditating on who God is, what he is wanting to do in us and through us, and what we need to do by way of answers and directions. I would also add it includes the need to examine and evaluate our motives and attitudes, our values and priorities, and even sin in our own lives that needs to be confessed. As I told my wife this morning, remember though, delay is not denial. Habakkuk had a firm grasp on this, and may we also grasp it in our hearts as we too wait on God. Verse 2, And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. I call this next section, Living by Faith Means Submitting to God. We're not told how long Habakkuk had to wait for a response. However, what we are told here in verse 2 is that once he received an answer, God told him to write it down. Write down the vision or write down the revelation, for this is of special importance and it must be documented and made plain upon the tablets so it may be seen and understood by everyone. My Bible says in the footnotes, Writing upon tablets refers to the common practice of that day where public notices with large characters were written on clay tablets such that someone who was even running could easily read what was written. And if the notice was a warning, it would also cause the reader to run quickly to prepare for what was coming. As one commentator said, Habakkuk submitted to God by proclaiming the proclamation just as God asked him to do. And that's the second point. Living by faith means a genuine submission to God. What does it mean to submit to God? Again, the dictionary defines it the act of submitting or yielding to the will or authority of another. So when it comes to our relationship with God, submission giving, means giving ourselves over completely to him and in faith being obedient by following his word as our guide. For example, just consider the story of Abraham in Genesis. After God called him to leave his home and family, Abraham willingly submitted to him, even though he didn't understand where he was being led. Later, when God asked Abraham to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice, Abraham again yielded to him, proving his faith and trust in God. The same holds true for us. Living by faith means we must also submit ourselves to God, acknowledging his authority and power in our lives. And by doing so, we are demonstrating that we trust him enough to follow his direction, even if we don't understand it. And how many times that has been, we don't really understand. Luke 22:42 sums it up well as I think about Christ responding to his own father. Not my will, but thine be done. I remember when I was a little boy, there was a television show on called Father's Knows Best. Most of you have no idea about this show. But it was a family show, a genuine family show, as compared to TV today where wholesome words, conservative dress, and any type of purity is gone. It's gone. 
Now the overall thrust of the show was that the father in the home was to be trusted and submitted to because he knew what was best in leading his family. Even though I wasn't a Christian, it was a good role model for me as I sought to submit to my own parents as they made decisions for our family. Now whether you understand it completely or not, God has designed the principle of submission to authority in every single person's life. And you may not like it, but God designed it. Children, I would really encourage you to realize the importance of learning submission. You may think at times your parents are wrong, but that's all part of God's submission to authority. Learning and reflecting humility and a genuine submission to God. And for you adults, may you also realize that living by faith means a genuine submission to God because your Heavenly Father knows best what you need in your life. How many times I thought, God, why are you doing this? Only, only to look back. To always look back and say, I know exactly why he did that. Well, let's move on to our third section. Verse 3. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. I call this third section, living by faith means trusting in God. As we read verse 3, I want you to notice two distinct sections. First, is that the vision recorded on the tablets in verse 2 is certain to occur at an appointed time, meaning you can absolutely count it taking place. The ESV puts it this way, it hastens to the end, it will not lie. And then the second section, when the vision happens, At the appointed time, you can be certain it will happen at exactly the right time. It will surely come. It will not tarry. When I first read that, I was a little confused because of the word tarry. The verb is, it tarry, wait for it. And then the phrase, be sure it will surely come, it will not tarry. That seems contradictory. It will tarry, it will not tarry. But when I stopped and really tried to dissect it, this is what I concluded. I'll explain. The first half, it's like two separate statements. The first half, the Lord is saying to Habakkuk, I know what you are thinking. You think the vision is being delayed and tearing, but just sit tight and wait for it. In the second half of the sentence, it will not tarry. The Lord is saying the vision is coming and is not tearing at all. For it is coming exactly at the right time according to my precise sovereign plan. Certainly if there is a word that screams loudly in this verse to Habakkuk, it is the word trust. Trust me, Habakkuk. Don't trust yourself. Instead, trust me. I know what I am doing. These words should likewise be an admonition to all of us as well. But living by faith means totally trusting in God. Totally trusting in His promises and totally trusting in his timing. Similar to waiting and submitting, trusting in God can be difficult for many of us, including myself. 
I was really convicted when I came to this point. Our flesh, my flesh, can get frustrated with what is going on. And our faith begins to wane as we doubt God and His sovereignty. God, I've been lingering here in sickness for days and you haven't healed me. God, I've prayed and prayed for the salvation of one of my children and nothing has happened. God, I've been asking for a revival in this land and I don't see anything except decline. God, you fill in the blank. What have you been praying for and waiting for? And no answer. I know every single one of you is dealing with something in your life right now. How are you doing in living by faith and trusting Him? I'm going to give you three verses that are so meaningful to me as I think about trusting God. The first... Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord Jehovah. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Trust God by keeping your mind stayed on him. Your mind, your emotions, your feelings has to be stayed on God. The second, Psalm 56, 3 and 4. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. In God I will praise his word. In God I put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Trust God by not fearing circumstances. Trust God by not fearing the outcome. And lastly, 28, 7 of Psalms. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusteth in him, and I am helped. Therefore my heart greatly rejoiceth, and with my song will I praise him. I want to encourage you, when you are in a trial, and you are waiting and trusting, as hard as it is, we need to rejoice. This speaks here, with a song will I praise him. Trust God by rejoicing and praising his name knowing he is doing exactly what's good for you. Well, our last section, verse 4. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just, or the righteous, shall live by his faith. I call it this last section. Living by faith means living for God. We now come to the key phrase for this morning. The just shall live by his faith. Who are the just? Galatians 2.16 gives us the answer. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. My Bible says in the footnotes for this verse, two classes of people are contrasted here. First, the proud, haughty Chaldeans who will be victors in the forthcoming conflict. And secondly, the righteous ones of Judah who will appear to be defeated in the forthcoming conflict, but in reality will be the victors because of their faith in the Lord. 
Or one commentator summed this up like this. In verse 4 we have the summation and the central theme of this book. The Babylonians are puffed up and like a bloated toad, these arrogant people hopped along toward destruction. I'm going to read that again. The Babylonians are puffed up and like a bloated toad, these arrogant people hopped along toward destruction. They are swollen with evil passions. Their soul is full of deceit and dishonesty, having deviated from God's standards. This way is the path to destruction. But in vivid contrast with the proud are the righteous who live their lives by placing their faith in God instead of themselves. A righteous or upright person is seen by his or her commitment to the Lord and will live their lives with an unwavering faith that is steadfast and sure to the end. Such it was for those many followers of God as we read in, about in Hebrews 11, the faith chapter. Those who understood that without faith it is impossible to please God. For faith is the substance or realization of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I read through that chapter. By faith Abel. By faith Enoch. By faith Noah. By faith Abraham. By faith Isaac. By faith Jacob. By faith Joseph. By faith Moses. By faith. Can you put your name in that blank? Even when things are dark and gloomy and all hope seems lost, the just and righteous ones put their trust in God and hold fast to their faith by living for God. They know God's glory will prevail no matter what. So as we come to a close this morning, I want you to consider this phrase again as it applies to your own life. The just, the righteous, shall live by his faith. In the New Testament, this statement is mentioned three, three times and applies to justifying faith as found in Romans and Galatians. And it's also applied to preserving faith as found in Hebrews 10. I want to read those verses to you in closing. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written. The just shall live by faith. Galatians 3.11 Paul notes the same by saying, But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And then lastly, Hebrews 10. This phrase is making a wider point that we must remain strong in our faith, even in suffering, for our reward is coming now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. These three verses say two things. Not only is our faith justified by Christ, but it's preserved by Christ as well. So may we as Christians live out our faith by waiting on God, by submitting to God, by trusting in God, and by living for God. I would encourage you this morning, if, if you've never placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, do so. And I would encourage you to do it today. For if you're not trusting Him, then you're trusting, you're putting your faith in something else. Someone, something. And that someone or something will ultimately lead you to an eternal and everlasting destruction forever. So seek the Lord.
why you may be found. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this account in Habakkuk. And we see by his example, Lord, his faith. I heard this week from a pastor who spoke, as you know, about the many young people in churches who have fallen away from the Lord. And when asked, well, why haven't they father, why haven't they followed their father's faith? The father's faith that was in the home, the answer was, because it was the father's faith and not their own. It grieves me when I think about those that are raised in Christian homes and have never placed their genuine faith and trust in you. And I pray that for our young people, Father, that they would see the essence of what this passage is talking about. For that is our only hope. That is our only foundation. That is our only surety in times of crisis, in times of trouble, to know that we serve and follow a sovereign God and He makes no mistakes. So Lord, I pray also for those that know You as Lord and Savior that we would exemplify these truths in our own lives as we go through different trials. Thank You, Lord, that You are the sure and steadfast rock that never wavers. Just praise in Christ's name. Amen.